Let's ask the Lord to help us in these moments that are before us. Let's pray. Lord, it is never business as usual when we come before your people with the word of God. And thus we come for your help. We come for your help, we come for your strength. As we look at this subject of, of utmost interest, uh, we pray you will give us clarity. Pray you will not only help me, the speaker, but help the people whether they can look at their lives from an eternal perspective. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, and verse 1. Mark, chapter 9, and verse 1. And please stay in the Gospel of Mark as we seek to um, ex exegete this passage. In Mark 9, and verse 1 we read and he said unto them verily I say unto you that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power the connection of these words in Mark 9 verse 1 with chapter 8 should not be overlooked when reading the context Mark 9. Verse 1 is a preface to what the Lord is about to teach his disciples as well as us today in this narrative. Mark 9 continues the subject of Jesus suffering on the cross and his return in glory. And by the way, the Bible, especially the Gospels, are written like this where there's a carryover from a sentence that was in the previous verse. And it's always wise when you're reading and studying the Bible to go back and see what was discussed. Mark 9 continues the subject of the Lord's suffering on the cross and his return. This, was, this subject began with his disciples in the latter portion of chapter 8, where the Lord concluded by saying, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Now well, it's obvious from these words that the subject is the Lord's second coming. The Lord is given the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, a prelude to the second coming as he appeared before them in his glorified state. Before Mark 9, 1, when he said unto them, I say to you that there be some of them that stand here, which shall not taste of death, till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. Now the one thing that is certain in this verse is that there will be people on earth when Jesus returns. Some may be saved and some may be damned. But after these words, the Lord takes Peter, James, and John apart on the mountain where he was transfigured. I don't even know if I am capable of explaining this passage, and that's why I pray for help to bring it to you. To be transfigured is to be changed. The man Christ Jesus took on the appearance of what he would look like in his glorified state. He was instantaneously changed before the eyes of his disciples. By the way, they are a representation of the church, all of God's people. The transfiguration is recorded in the three synoptic gospels. It was not an arbitrary or an impulsive action by Jesus. 
It was deliberate. It is a historical event with a spiritual message. Peter calls this event to mind in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, saying that there were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter is not going to say this if it wasn't real. Second, the transfiguration is not only a historical event, it has prophetic implications. One day Christ will appear in his glorified state with all the saints who believe on him and they will be changed. Christians believe this teaching. First Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Just like Jesus said, there'll be some standing here. But we all shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, this teaching is the bedrock of the Christian faith. This is my hope, that I will be changed. I wouldn't want to be in this body, this sinful body, much longer. The struggles, the temptations, do you want that? Do you like that? That's why Paul says, for our citizenship is in heaven, from whence we look for the Savior, who shall change our vile body. It's a hope, the blessed hope. The third reason why we have this recorded event is the transfiguration is a spiritual reality in the lives of God's people, all of them. Not to the extent that we read here, but a transforming work took place in a true child of God. Romans 12, 1 and 2 teaches that we are not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Something is wrong. If you say you are a Christian, and you are being brought into conformity with this world. 2 Corinthians 3.18, I will quote this again, but we all with open face beholding in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The glass that we behold the Lord's glory. It's the word of God. It's called a glass or a mirror. Today you and I live in an earthly decayed body. And we see this all the time as God reminds us as one by one is taken away from our church. Awaiting. Let's not kid ourselves. Awaiting. That call from God. And I'm concerned about some who sat here under this ministry. Are they awaiting that call? Or are they fighting against God? We live in a decaying body. The Bible teaches the hope of the true child of God. This is what the transfiguration of Jesus teaches. So as we consider this event, I will open up this context from Mark chapter nine, verses one through 13, with the following observations. One, the Lord Jesus revealed his glory, verses two and three. After six days, Jesus taketh with him Peter, and James, and John, and leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his raiment, his outer garments, became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller, no soap, no bleach on earth 
can wipe them. To be transfigured is to be changed on the outside. Is a change from the outside that comes from the inside. Jesus' outward appearance change. He is eternal God. And he changed, he just changed to show what he is. The word transfigure is from the same form of the word transform. It is where we get the word metamorphosis. You heard this word before. It's a change that is wrought from the inside. There's a difference between transform or transformation and masquerade. There's a big difference. The masquerade is what one pretends to be on the outside. And there are many people in the church like that. Only clowns do this. The Lord revealed his glory to his disciples not to everybody to his disciples he revealed who he really was well, there may be a few reasons why Jesus took Peter James and John with him these three and he always do this one was to validate Peter's earlier confession that he is the son of God. Remember earlier Peter did this. Second reason for this transfiguration was to remind the disciples that God will be vindicated in the resurrection of his son and in the resurrection of all who believe on him. It's showing Peter that. And no wonder he brought two Old Testament saints back. The Lord wants reveal his glory at Mount Sinai to Moses who asked God to show him his glory. One or two times we read in the Bible Isaiah was stunned when he saw a glimpse of God's glory. But the Lord only revealed part of his glory to Moses but it was not as the experience with the three disciples. You remember in Exodus 33, when God said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. And then he said, and I will have mercy on whom I will. In the Exodus account, Moses was told that no man can see the glory of God and live. You know, you hear people talk about they see Jesus. I always wonder about that. Which Jesus you see? There are a lot of people in the name of Jesus. Certainly not this one. Moses was so changed that when he came off the mountain, nobody could look at him. Nobody could see his face. And that was a picture because the Old Testament is still a veil over the eyes of many people. They can't see Christ. And this may explain why the disciples fell asleep. They all fell asleep. They were stunned. It was a phenomenon event. When Jesus walked among men on earth, he humbled himself, becoming a man. That's what Philippians said. He limited himself. No one ever saw the full extent of his glory. Here he shows his disciples his glory. They saw him in his exalted state and fell asleep. Just like when he was going to Calvary. They fell asleep. It's too much. His outer garments became exceeding white as snow. And like I say, we can trust these words because they are in the scriptures. I, I don't even know if I, I, I pray the Lord help me in this, in this message. Because we are entering in, we are entering in on a delicate passage of scripture. The place we are walking is holy ground. 
So Jesus revealed his glory. Ponder that. Second, the Lord reunites his saints. He reunites his saints. You see this in the text, verse 4. And there appeared unto them the three disciples, Elias, or better yet, Elijah, with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. Well, notice that. They came to comfort him because he was going to the cross. Uh, uh, why would Jesus get comfort from the Old Testament saints? Now this event will take place in, at the end of time. The Lord is giving his disciples a foretaste of eternity. Jesus did not reunite Elijah and, jo and, and Moses arbitrarily. There is a, there's particular significance in this action. Moses represented the law. Elijah represented the prophets. The law and the prophets came together, the word of God. Something was unique about these two prophets. You know that. Moses was buried by God. God, that, God did that for a reason. Most people will worship him. No one knew where his bones were buried. They would have made a shrine and worshiped the remains. Up to this very day, they would do this. You would see uh, it would be a tourist attraction. Men would go to pay hundreds. Elijah didn't die a natural death, but was taken to heaven by a whirlwind. He was raptured like a Christian would be who believe. He was taken up. And some of you that think the gospel is a joke, you must consider this gospel lest you end up under God's wrath. The Lord is giving his disciples as well as true believers, me and you, the assurance that one day they will be reunited with all who has gone before. Hebrews chapter 11, give a list of them. You should read that. First Thessalonians 4, 13 and 14 says, but I would not have you to be ignorant brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Notice what God calls a departing saint. Fall asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Our body is going to a grave, and that's why he said, don't burn my bones. I believe this. I'm asleep, delicately put me in the ground as I await the resurrection. Some will be risen to life, and some will be risen to judgment. A question arises from the text. How did Peter recognize Moses and Elijah since he never saw these Old Testament saints in his lifetime? Let me read verse 5 and 6 of Mark 9. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, one for Elias. For he wist not, he did not know what to say, for they were so afraid. And this is Peter. 
always talk before he thinks. So a question arise, how did Peter recognize Moses and Elijah since he never saw these Old Testament saints in his lifetime? There were no digital cameras back then. How did he recognize them? He really didn't know what to say. Now there's a, there's a theory taught by many just before we came here, we were listening to a funeral. Uh, I said, Baby's son. Uh, we're just listening to it. There's a theory taught by many that people will know each other in eternity. This is not possible. I don't care what people say, I don't care how many degrees they got. If the redeemed will be changed, as I said, Paul says that he would, his vile body would be changed. How can we tell all flesh? In fact, if this was possible, that we can recognize people in eternity, men would make heaven just like they make the church. They would make heaven just like how they make this church. God is too wise to permit that. I have not seen or heard, neither have it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. You hear what the Bible says? I have not seen. Remember the story of Lazarus, the rich man? He wanted somebody to go back to earth and witness to his sons. The parable says, look, they got the Bible. Let, let them listen to that. You need to dismiss all of those theories that you are taught and that you hear and listen to the word of God. Where do men get the idea from that they would see mama and papa, wife and children in eternity? Where, where would be our focus? We're told by the Apostle John, 1 John 3, 2 and 3, beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not appear what we shall be, but we know that we will see him as he is, for we would be like him. You know anybody that ever see that? Where do we get these things from, these cliches, these doctrines? Certainly not from the word of God. So go home and run with that and refute it to whoever you hear saying it. Hey, our pastor said, well, tell one thing, I don't want to see nobody but Jesus Amen. in heaven. What are you going there to meet off Neil? <laughs> I have had sufficient of him on earth. Carnal thinking, worldly thinking. Dismiss it. We do not know what we shall be. A believer's business should not who they see in eternity. Their business is to see who they are in time to strive to enter the straight gate. Eternity is. A completely different dimension that no one ever experienced. God describes eternal things with earthly images because you and I live on earth. We use earthly images like we will see and we will see him as he is. But they're earthly images. We must not make heaven earth. We have erred significantly. Peter didn't know what he was saying in verse 6. He didn't know what he was saying. But wonderfully, he said it. And God corrected him too. His words are recorded by the Holy Spirit for us to read because they are true. He said, Master, it is good for us to be here. It is good for one to be in the presence of Christ and his people. 
It is good to be in heaven. It is good. It is not that good to be on earth. Peter said a tremendous thing. It's good for us to be here. Nobody would regret that they have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. But there would be many regrets in hell. It is good for us to be here. To be set apart. By having this hope mean that we would seek to be more like our Savior. We live by faith, not by sight. Peter didn't know what he was saying. Let us make three tabernacles. There's only one tabernacle that we'll be with Christ. There's only one we must worship, Christ. He's a central figure of our worship. Peter, poor Peter, spoke out of turn. He was equating Jesus with Moses and Elijah. You can't do that. Christ is infinitely more superior. At this juncture, God, the Father, stepped in. Verse 7 and 8. Peter, you have said enough. There was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this one is my beloved son. Hear him. Peter, you have said too much. Verse 8. And suddenly when they had looked around about, they saw no man anymore, save Jesus, only with themselves. That's as soon as the vision unfolds, it ended. Moses and Elijah were taken away. Let me say this, no Old Testament saint was to be worshipped or is to be worshipped and to be adored. And this is why the voice came for our sakes. The Matthew 17 text says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased here he him. Doesn't mean that God wasn't well pleased with Moses and Elijah but not to the same degree as he was well pleased with his son. God is not that well pleased with me and you. He's well pleased with his son. Hear him. So then, in this phenomenal event recorded in Mark 9, the Lord revealed his glory to his disciples as he became transfigured. Second, the Lord Jesus reunited two Old Testament saints with his disciples. This is the composition of the church. Ephesians chapter 2. I hope you get it. I don't have the time to explain everything. This is the composition. Uh, we are built upon the prophets and the apostles. Jesus, the chief cornerstone. What a wonderful historical picture. It was a historical event that is pointing to what is to come. We come to our last heading. The Lord foretells his resurrection and his return, obviously. Verses 9 through 13. This is the contextual outline. The Lord foretells his resurrection. Verse 9 says, And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen, the Son of Man were risen from the dead. Now one would, one would think that such an experience as this would have been published, you know, splashed all over the place. But the Lord said, tell it to no one. Luke says, and they kept it close and told no man in those days of those things which they had seen. At least the disciples obeyed the Lord. I wonder what we would have done. We can't even keep a secret. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 29 verse 29, the secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words 
of this law. God has revealed his word for us to teach our children. The seeing eye and the hearing ear is a gift of God. And I am not just speaking about the literal seeing eye and seeing ear. You can lose your eyesight, you can lose your hearing in your old age, but the spiritual sight and the spiritual ears that God give us cannot be lost. God give us those ears to hear his gospel and to believe. So Peter obeyed this command. And Peter later said, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. Then there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Peter quotes from the Mafia side. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard. When we were with him in the Holy, in the Holy Mount. You see, this is true. See, what we're saying, saying is true. It finds cooperation in the New Testament. Peter brought back this event to us today saying we didn't follow fables the resurrection is not a fairy tale the lord jesus was publicly approved by god the father and here the apostle give every christian assurance verses 10 and 11 they kept the saying with themselves questioning one with another what the rising from the dead should mean you know that during the days of Jesus, the disciples, Brother Dalton, didn't fully grasp the resurrection as we do today. They, they didn't grasp the resurrection in, in spite of so many scripture verses. And God had kept them in, in a state of blindness as he has kept so many people today. They didn't, they questioned it. And they asked him, saying, Why say the scribes that Elias or Elijah must first come? The disciples were confused about this event and the prophecy about Elijah's coming. They asked, Why say the scribes, the teachers? We, we were taught that Elijah must come. Malachi 4. Let me read it to you. Malachi 4, 5, and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Now, this Elijah, of course, is John the Baptist. And this dreadful day of the Lord, I do not believe it is judgment day. I think it is the cross that God, that Christ was judged for our sins. Elijah came before that. It's the cross that alleviates God from smiting us. I think this is the correct exegesis. But the Bible does not support reincarnation. It's another not a teaching that is very prevalent. The Bible doesn't support this. But the Bible supports transformation or regeneration. Elijah was the forerunner of John the Baptist. He came in the spirit and power of Elijah. He was not Elijah incarnate. Jesus gave the right answer in Mark 9. 12 and 13. This is probably as far as we would go in the text. He answered and told them, Elias verily come of first. Yes, he did come. And restore all things. You see what I tell you? He was talking about the cross. 
And how it is written of the Son of Man that he must suffer many things. If he said it not, but I say unto you that Elias is indeed come, and they have done unto him whatsoever they listed, as it is written of him. They took off his head. What the Lord is saying to the disciples is, don't expect any different treatment than John the Baptist as a Christian. Don't, don't expect any different treatment from your people. The question the disciples ask about Elijah brethren is a comfort to us who are Christians. It is a reminder that we are all finite. No Christian has a perfect knowledge. No pastor has all the answers. No teacher is right all the time. May not even be half the time. The disciples were confused by the teaching of the scribes and the actors. But why did, why did he teach us this? The Lord has to deal with us patiently, showing us the meaning of difficult passages in the scripture. Think of the time that you taught error, that you had to be corrected, and some of you don't want to be corrected. Take a lesson from the disciples. The scribes were looking for a literal appearance of Elijah. They were wrong. They interpreted the scriptures literally, earthly, like some do today. Looking for a kingdom in Jerusalem. Wrong. The Lord must open our eyes to the scriptures. It's an encouragement to me. I don't know everything. I trust that I wouldn't lead you astray. But the things that I know, I will tell you. And you better listen. This transfiguration, brethren, is an intriguing event, a story that is told that was true. A phenomenal occurrence. But it shouldn't be. And I'll tell you why it shouldn't be. There's a message today. The Bible says that if anyone is in Christ, they have become a new creature. A reference was made to this, but I don't have the time to explain this. You know what's a new creation? In order to be a creation, there must be a creator. You didn't make yourself a Christian. You might have made a decision, but you certainly can't make yourself a Christian. You, can you create? The Lord reveals himself to his people still. When he makes us a new creature, he reveals himself to us. He changes our behavioral pattern. The things we once loved are the very things we hate. Who did that? The sins we once cherished are the very sins we run from. Who did that? But you still run into them, you're not a new creature. Christians look the same. I didn't copy nobody's notes. Chances are somebody copied my notes. Christians look the same on the outside, but we are changed on the inside. Just like Paul says, the outer man perishes. And you should get this in your head. The outer man will perish, but the inner man is renewed. And that's why on our dying beds, we can be looking for the glory of Christ. 
Yes, Christians are changed on the inside. It is not a matter of if one let the Lord change them. No. It is a biblical truth. I get a little tired telling professing Christians that they need to change. I get a little tired doing that. I, I, I'm going to stop doing that. Because you cannot water dead plants. You can't. But I get a little tired telling people they need to change their behavior. In the church, their outward expression of their faith. I get tired telling people they need to change that. As I was telling Connor yesterday, it is God that gives us that power. It is God that instills in us the life of the Christian. That you want to live the life. I cannot make anyone live the life. I get tired doing that. It makes me weary. In my final days, I, I don't want to be doing that anymore. God convicts his children of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. We do not have to go to the mountain to see the glory of Christ. God tells us how the Lord's glory is revealed. But we all with open face beholding in at last, the glory of the Lord are changed to the same image from glory to glory. In other words, there is a progression of change. Today we are not the same as we were yesterday. By the Spirit of the Lord, the Lord reveals himself to men today, to people today, not to the same degree. But he reveals himself to us through the preaching of his word. When we read or receive God's word with an open heart. This is what the text is saying. We with open face. It should be we with open heart. We will see who we are in God's sight. We will see the Lord that he is holy. That he's harmless. Undefiled, separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens. You'll see it. Appearing on our piano. You'll see these truths that others cannot see. You know, people say, but what? Yeah, yeah, you're going back again to church. Well, you didn't you just come from there? Yes, I'm going back. Because I'm going to see the glory of Christ. Here, some of them, some of your own family, people are going to come around for Christmas. They, they may even get you not to come to church. You need to point them to the transfiguration, the glory that Christ revealed to his disciples. He will guide us into truth, He will show us the things of Christ. But let me say this, we must come off of our own mountain as the disciples. They didn't stay there, they came off. The mountaintop experience is to be lived out on the plain. And many claim to know, but it is the doers of the word that are blessed. The message of the transfiguration is a great encouragement to the true Christian. Jesus reunited the saints. Not only revealed himself, he reunited the saints. Moses and Elijah stood as representatives of all who believe in the old dispensation. Peter, James, and John reminds us of the church today. We are built upon the foundation of the prophets, the apostles, Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. Jesus predicted his resurrection. So in our closing remarks, let me leave these thoughts with you, brethren. And one is the cross comes before glory. The Lord said to his disciples that he was going to a cross to be crucified.
Peter did not understand. He wanted the Lord to forego the cross. Jesus said to us, whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? The cross comes before glory. Or if you want me to say it different, repentance comes before heaven. Let me break it down that you can understand. People want heaven but they don't want repentance. They want their bowl of soup, like Esau, but they want God's blessing. The Bible says when he saw it, it was too late. He was crying. You have one more blessing? Lord, Dad, bless me now. Bless me. Some of you kids, you need to listen up. You see your life, and you see the Christian life as a waste. You may regret. One day, you may hear, Dad was right, Mom was right, I was wrong. You may hear that. I'm sorry. There is a cross for us to bear, for all. There are battles to fight in this world against sin, against the flesh. There is a cross. For if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. 2 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. The late Anglican bishop that we read so often, J.C. Ryle, in commenting on this transfiguration, said this, and I quote, We have reason to thank God for this vision. We are often tempted to give up Christ's service because of the cross and affliction which it entails. We see few with us and many against us. The message of the transfiguration should be a remedy for such doubting thoughts. The vision of the Holy Monk is a pledge of things to come. One day, the crucified Savior will come with his saints with him. Jesse Rod. Well, Neil, we are on the right track in the exposition of this message. J.C. Ryle agrees with this exposition. We give thanks for men of the past who were faithful. We should not expect to have the joys, brethren, of heaven if we are only living today for the here and now. And I am concerned about some of us. Pleasures. Earthly pleasures. Forget the church. Don't expect the joys of heaven. If you are living. For this wicked sinful world. Don't expect it. Don't expect the preacher to come. And read a eulogy and push you a place you don't belong. Live it out here on earth. There's a cross before glory. Second important message is that no one can see the glory of Christ on their own human ability. Mark 9, 2 is clear. Mark 9, verse 2. After six days, Jesus taketh with him, notice these verbs, Peter and James and John, and leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Some, some men 
may have climbed Mount Everest by themselves. You know Mount Everest? Well, if you got the Pitons in St. Lucia, you may be able to climb them. But no man can climb to the top of Mount Zion. After six days, we do not know from whence the six days are taken, but there's one thing I know, that after six days come the seventh. And the perfect Sabbath would come when he would take us. The text used two action words to suggest that the three disciples were led by Jesus. They were taken by Jesus. Today, men don't want to be led on earth, but expect to be led to heaven. They don't want to be led on earth, but they expect to be led to heaven. It wouldn't happen. The scripture says, Jesus take up with him, Peter, James, John, and lead them up. For, for them to be led, they had to be in submission to him. No disciple can take another disciple to heaven. You hear what I say? No parent can take a child to heaven. No spouse can take another to glory. Jesus must be their savior. We trust the Lord's leading on earth first. And I go and prepare a place for you. If I go, I will come again and receive you myself. Where I am, there you may be also. So the action of seeing the Lord's glory is the Lord's action. The transfiguration message is a gospel message. So it's a foretaste of events to come, brethren. Cross comes before glory. No one can see the Lord's revealed glory apart from the Lord's leading. But thirdly, there is only one voice to follow. And you heard that voice. A voice came from heaven. This is my beloved son. Hear him. And these words were a validation that the Lord Jesus is the final authority. Moses, Elijah, disciples were subject to Christ. We must hear him, his word. The law and the prophets points to him. This is my beloved son, hear him. This is our message today. It's a prayer that you have uh, listened carefully that you would be one who would be reckoned with